Hi, welcome back to Real As Feedback, a space where we have candid conversations about performance feedback in the workplace. We share real stories and offer practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. I'm Kieran Snyder, and as always, I'm here with Kim Scott and Jackie Clayton. How has it been for you two, you know, with the banking crisis going on, nothing happening in the country at all? Yeah, the power going out, it does. It has seemed a little like the infrastructure is getting creaky. Right? It's been a little wobbly. Been a little wobbly. We're here to put it back on track. I'm so excited. We have a great guest today, uh, Nathan Berry, who is the CEO and founder of ConvertKit. Uh, in previous careers, Nathan has been a designer, an author, a blogger. Basically, if it can be created, Nathan has created it. Uh, and after really building his own creator career and learning the power of email marketing, he left that blogging career behind to build ConvertKit to help other creators. Uh, and outside of work, he spends time playing soccer, woodworking, and chasing after three little boys at his home in Idaho. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. We're so excited that you're here to talk with us about feedback. I have just kind of an initial question. What got you interested in joining us today? Well, there's, there's a bunch of things. I'm a big fan of Radical Candor. We've read it many times uh, as an executive team, uh, as, you know, as a broader team over the years. Uh, and then, Kieran, anything that you do, I'm a big fan of. For anyone who doesn't know, Kieran's on my board. <laughs> and so... Yes, lucky me. <laughs> and so I go to her with like, hey, how do I handle this? Or who should I hire? Or what's missing here? Or all of these things. And so when you're reaching out, I was like, oh, this is too good to pass up. It's amazing. And Nathan is among the startup founders that I've gotten to know in the last few years, been unusually successful building a pretty diverse team. And we have a lot of shared strategies in common. His team also doesn't have one physical headquarters. They really take advantage of people all over uh, as they build their team. And I know he's really thoughtful about feedback. So I am really excited to dive in. So as they would say on the internet, let's get real. Before Nathan shares his story, I just want to remind you, if you want to share your feedback story with us, you can email us at mystory at realasfeedback.com. And we have a really good reader story we're going to share later in this episode. So Nathan, we'd love to get the ball rolling with you uh, on any piece of feedback that you've received that was really beneficial uh, to you in your career, or maybe an experience with feedback that wasn't so helpful. Yeah, we go with one that was very helpful. It's like many of these things of how we handle feedback probably goes back to childhood. <laughs> you know, these responses. I grew up in an environment that was like emotion was very scary between my dad and my sister, like just a very volatile environment. And so I'm like a retreat into the corner kind of person. I, I didn't really think about how that would affect things at work. But fairly early on at ConvertKit, Maybe we were a team of 25 or 30 people. We were meeting with our leadership team in person, like flew everybody in, we're talking through it. And I could tell that the conversation, you know, as we're talking, I don't even remember what it was about, but probably what roles we're gonna hire next or resources or any of those things. I could tell it wasn't going very well, but I could not figure out why. 
and it was probably that I was right and they were obstinate and just the, the, the usual thing. But after the conversation, uh, Ashley, who's our VP of operations, and, and I've known her for a long time, we've worked together now for seven and a half years. She pulled me aside and she was like, what did you notice about that conversation? And she said, OK, when you said this, what did you notice on David's face? David was our director of engineering. Uh, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, what was I supposed to notice? And she was like, when you said this, his face just completely fell. Like, you could see it, his reaction over, and you just kept moving right on by. You didn't even notice. You didn't. And she was very kindly and gently telling me that you have no emotional awareness to what other people are experiencing in the room and in the conversation. And that's why like these conversations are going so poorly and like she was very kind about it, but she was like, it was like, you're the problem. And it's because you're, you're, you're not aware of how, what you're saying is being received by other people, even when they're like broadcasting it on their faces. Wow. How did you feel hearing that from Ashley? I, I think right at first I was like, well, uh, probably that it didn't happen. Right. Or that it wasn't as obvious. Little denial that and that's, by the way, thank you for acknowledging that, because that's how most people when they receive some feedback first respond like that's a very human response. Yeah. Or I think that like she was pointing out something that was very subtle. Right. And maybe if I was very in tune to it, I might have seen it. And I was like, OK, well, maybe I'll look for that. Look for those details. And, and she just followed up. and was like, to be clear, like this was obvious to everyone in the room, <laughs> you know, and like, I, I think I just had this habit of like, I'm not a very loud, outgoing person. So not like talking over people, but just this conversations were fairly one sided. I was going off of exactly what people said and not all the rest of the cues that that I had from them. So, I mean, that, that was quite a while ago. And it's something that I've like really stuck with me and have tried to move through and and like get that feedback and people close to me you know who have heard that story or like they, i've told them specifically that i'm looking for that and looking for either feedback after a conversation saying hey you actually missed this again or the positive side of like i noticed you were going full steam ahead and you actually noticed how it was being received and like you know, asked a question or because I, I used to have the approach of like, oh, if you had something to share, you would have like jumped in and, and shared it. Or like when I stopped talking, you would have said what you were feeling, you know, and it's like, turns out people don't just do that. You know, you have to notice and invite it and go from there. I was going to ask you a question, Jackie. So I, maybe you're going to answer my question. Go. And I was going to answer it. Maybe I had the answer before you even asked. Maybe it was the same thing where we're pretty vibing. Go, you, you do it. No, I, I think what I was thinking about is that's what happens early in career and management. I think a lot of times you're practicing so much the story, right? Like the day before you're going to have an office meeting, you're going to bring everybody into a room and you're focused on just trying to get the information out early in your career. It's easy to, to do that. And I remember as an early manager talking to another early manager. And I said, what if they cry? What, I'm going to give this information. What if they cry? And they said, if they cry, then they just cry and you just have to get through it. And then I said, somebody taught you that. And I don't think that's the right, right. I don't think that's the right approach. I'm going to go read a book and I will let you know how that goes. But I think so many people in leadership, they think, 
well, I'm going to be, you know, like a solid, like an oak tree. It shows leadership and power in the end. I'm going to give this message and everyone's just going to accept it. I mean, I think this is a common thing. I don't think you're the only one who's experienced that. One of the things, go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, I, I, this, especially with things that are rehearsed or, or you're preparing for a hard conversation and you really don't know how it's going to be received. Like in, in this, we're talking about, you know, groups of maybe two, three or five but I mean, it's especially true if you're talking to a group of 30 or 50 or more and not having that awareness. I think it's a hard line to walk, right? Of in a big group, maybe you do need to just get through something and then and then respond to it. But I mean, yeah, could you imagine how bad that would be if, you know, you're having a one-on-one and you're like going, you can see that reaction. Like if someone starts crying and you're just like, just power through, just power <laughs> That would be terrible. Nothing, not one thing. Ice woman. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I found very helpful in my career about this is uh, is to to go back to actually Aristotle's rhetoric, and there's credibility, logic, and emotion. And in order to communicate with people, you've got to establish your credibility. You've got to share your logic, but you also have to attend to their emotions. And it's not about your emotion as a leader. It's about their emotions. If you look at the great communicators in, in the world, they are very attentive to the emotions of their audience. In fact, if you read the text of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, he goes, he totally throws away his prepared remarks. So what, what you said, Nathan, about preparing too much, like he realized what he had prepared to say was inadequate to the moment. And, uh, and he just talked from the heart. And that was the great part of the speech. And that is why we love Kim Scott. You get Aristotle and MLK reference points in a coherent comment. Nice work, Kim. One of the things I noticed, Nathan, in your story that I'm really curious to hear more about, first of all, like lucky you for having Ashley and props to Ashley for her bravery and sharing that feedback with you. What did you do to create the safe environment for Ashley over a long period of time that she feels comfortable to say, hey, and by the way, the way you described her giving that feedback is like picture perfect, right? She pulled you aside. She gave you constructive feedback in a really supportive way. She gave you an example so you could see how it was playing out in real time. But you had to do something too to create the relationship with Ashley where she felt comfortable to share that with you. And so I'm curious as a leader, how do you approach that? That make sure your team, so a lot of our stories we hear from people are, my manager told me this, your story is so great because it's actually someone who works for me told me this. That's much harder to create. I think probably the, I mean, there's asking for feedback, which I don't think I did very well early on because like, what do I need feedback on? I don't know. We're just all going through this. Like initially, and it's like the teenager probably where you're like, yeah, I, I know everything. And the older you get, you the you realize like, oh, I know less and less. And then it just keeps going. You're like, I basically know nothing. So please give me all the feedback. Actively soliciting it. And we do, we have a few different rituals that we do in the company around uh, soliciting feedback. But I think the biggest thing is everyone's watching how feedback is received. And so that first time, and they, they might not ever know that feedback was delivered. So I don't know that I did it in this circumstance. What I've done in other examples is to come back to the group and say, hey, Ashley gave me this really good feedback. 
And I want you to know that I'm trying like she's spot on and I'm trying to recognize that. And so if you notice this as well, can you like feel free to pause the conversation or like in that case, you know, it was important for Ashley to deliver that feedback privately. And it was probably, you know, 10 times better received <laughs> because she did. But now bringing it back to the group and I, then I can talk about that. Everyone sees, oh, feedback is well received. And then it becomes a shared thing where I'm saying, hey, I'm actively working on this. And so then that means if someone else notices it in the future and is like, you know, using our characters of David and Ashley in this case, David might be like, hey, I noticed Ashley's reaction to that. Can we just pause for a second? And Ashley, can you tell us what what you're experiencing? And so I guess it's showing the group how feedback is received, making it a collective thing, saying I'm I'm actively working on this and I would like help from everyone. And I'm inviting more feedback on this topic. It's not a one and done. It's a um, I'm trying to implement it from there. And then, yeah, probably those two things really just demonstrating like, hey, if you give me feedback, I'll listen. You know, I'm not going to blow up in your face. I'm not going to dismiss it. And the more you can demonstrate that, like you're going to have someone on maybe on your leadership team who maybe they joined a month ago and they're still trying to feel out what's the dynamic in the, in the group. And so how that one interaction goes, I mean, that's all the information they have. So they're probably like, oh, wow, this is how the team operates. And if it goes poorly, they're like, okay, feedback is not welcome here. Noted. <laughs> and and they're going to handle it very differently when that might have just been a bad day for you. I love that. I love the crediting the person making the observation, naming it that you've heard it and asking for help is such a powerful thing to do publicly. It's, and it's courageous. And I it sets up such a good dynamic with the team for ongoing feedback. I love that. And again, remember, if you want to share your feedback story with us, you can email it to us at mystory at realasfeedback.com. You can be anonymous. You can just share your first name. And we're really excited to share some of your stories like Nathan is sharing his and talk about how we might handle the situation that you're seeing. Are you all up for hearing one of our listener stories? It's a doozy. I would love to. I'm ready. Yep. <laughs> Here we go. It's a long one, and I'm going to read it in two parts, and we're going to discuss each part separately. Okay, so this is a story from Rachel. So thank you, Rachel, for sharing your story with us. So here's, here's what Rachel says. I was the inside sales and customer service manager for a SaaS startup. I was called into one of the co-founders' offices and told, quote, the women in the office do not like you. For reference, I was the only woman not in an accounting or admin role in the company. So not many women here in, you know, she knows who's, who's giving this feedback. I asked if they knew why I wasn't liked and what I should do about it. The co-founder told me, first part, I should start by making my emails more feminine, that my emails were too offensive coming from a woman, I should not continue trying to communicate like men do. And that might be the problem. So if I would just start including smiley faces in my emails, along with more of a feminine tone, that would show my emails were coming kind of from the right place. So that's number one. All right. So let's talk about this part first before we get to part two. I love the smiley faces part. <laughs> the smiley faces always makes me laugh where it's like... It is true. Like this, I have gotten some version of this email many, many, many times. So I want to say to Rachel, there's you're 
you have a lot of solidarity out there in the world. I'm sorry this happened, and it happens to a lot of people. So thank you for sharing it. Uh, very painful. I mean, I would say the first, the first thing that went wrong was that the co-founder was not encouraging people to share their feedback directly. So was creating this sort of feedback, triangulating, allowing triangulation. So encouraging clean escalation means if someone comes to you and talks badly about someone else, tell them to go talk to that person directly and to talk to them, like, don't send an email, don't leave a voicemail, go look them in the eye and have a real conversation with them. On that note, there's a, a little framework that someone taught me once that I've used all the time ever since then. And I don't know where to give credit uh, to it. It's probably in some manager's handbook. But basically, when someone comes to you and is talking about like, here's what this person's doing, all of that, then saying like, wow, thank you for bringing this to me. It shows that you really care. Now, I assume that you're bringing with this to me for one of two reasons. Either first, you don't know how, like what the exact problem is or how to phrase it. And so it's helpful to talk through that with me so we can get clear on it before you deliver that feedback to them. Or two, you're worried about how that conversation might go and you'd like help maybe someone else to be there to facilitate it. And I'd be happy to do that. So with that, when is the, like, when are you going to have the conversation with the individual and do you need me to be there or not? And I've used that so many times in different words, um, but it's just always taking this from like talking about someone behind their back or like, Nathan, we fix this about that problem or that other person to like, okay, I'm not telling them you did something wrong by bringing this to me. I'm like validating and redirecting and shaping it the right way. And I've used that so many times because exactly what you're talking about, Kim, like there's a few things more toxic than this environment that is unfolding in the story. Yes. Well, let's get to part two because it gets better. But wait, I want to hear from Jackie because Jackie's face was priceless as you were reading. <laughs> well, I think the first thing that I thought about in the nature of my work is that your people can't be their whole selves at work. It's going to affect this person's productivity. You're not encouraging people to be themselves. Like the first thing I thought is how bad this person's sales were going to be when they didn't know. Now they're, you know, they couldn't be themselves. And it also makes me think of the times that I've heard that before. And so I, and I just, I get so frustrated with worse than the fact that they are saying that it's not feminine enough. My favorite is always being like mansplained on how to be more feminine in emails by including smiley faces that just pushed me full over the edge. <laughs> it's a nice dynamic there because uh, it is not stated explicitly that the co-founder is male, but I do infer it from the story because Rachel says the only other women in the office are those in the accounting and, and admin story. So there is an extra mansplaining element here uh, as well. Well, and the letter does say he advised me, which implies that he's a man, but it, it may not. But the, I mean, the other thing I will say, and I, I promise I'll let us move on in a second. It happens with some frequency that men like to men that some men that I have worked with, not all men, but a small number of men and, uh, who I have worked with like to kind of stir the are we allowed to curse on this podcast? We're allowed to, Kim. This is you, me and Jackie. 
Okay. Thank you. They like to stir the shit between the women and they like to like create tension where there actually isn't any. So there was a very senior woman who I worked with once upon a time and men were always trying to create a cat fight between the two of us. And we both, we at first it, it worked once or twice. And then I went to her and I'm like, wait a minute, I like you. This is bullshit. Like, we're not going to let this happen. But we had to really sort of explicitly recognize what was going on. I don't and I don't think the men there were only a couple. There were many men who I loved working with at this company. But these couple of men, I don't even think they intended to do it. But they but for I don't know why they did it. But it was it's a dynamic that is not uncommon. I'll put it that way. I think you might like where Rachel's story goes. Okay, (laughs) let's continue. Let's continue. Rachel says, I was also told that the women in the office were complaining that I was not in the office Monday to Friday. And because of that, they were concerned I was getting special treatment. He said, since the women had brought up that it wasn't fair, I was the only woman working in the field or remotely a few days a week. And I wasn't in the office as much as the others. For context, I was inside sales and title, but I also prospected by knocking on doors when I couldn't get through via phone for local prospects. So Rachel goes on to explain to us that literally part of her job description involves being outside the office, which is not uncommon for sales. Well, what did the co-founder do about it? The co-founder changed my schedule, made me start punching in and out, only salesperson who had to do that, which made me come into the office at the beginning and end of each day. He assured me it was not performance related at all. I was the top performer for inside sales up until the day I quit. And I needed to find a way to fit in with the women and make them like me or the situation would become permanent. No other feedback was given. I quit about five months later after I tried everything I could do to win over the admin and accounting team. However, here we go. Here's the kicker. Ultimately, even when I directly asked each woman how I could improve our relationship, they all acted shocked and confused by the information. I realized it didn't matter if it was true or not. I went so far trying to align with the women to be an ally, to support them with potential work from home days, they responded with a lot of confusion. It's very likely the co-founder wanted to make sure I was grouped with women in the first place and put in my place. It took me four months to realize this. He may have been pitting women against each other and I began my search for employment elsewhere. So her diagnosis, Kim, is very much what you described, that the co-founder is actually trying to stir the pot a little bit. So comments on the second part of Rachel's story. I think good job going and talking to the other women and trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, and good job. I think the rule number one, when you get bias, prejudice, or bullying masquerading as feedback is to locate the exit nearest you. So I think she did the right thing. I wonder what would have happened if she had confronted the co-founder with his bias and pointed out to him that he was losing his top performer because of his bias, it would be interesting. Well, I wonder if we've seen that play out. Any of us have seen that play out in real workplaces? You know, I think that co-founder surely thought he was providing helpful feedback. 
Like at some level, he thought he was providing helpful feedback. The feedback was so unreasonable and the mitigations that he suggested to put in place so discriminatory, right? When when somebody is the only person, they're really discriminatory. They're not just biased when you have somebody who's the only person in a function asked to perform in a certain way. I can imagine why Rachel found it easier to seek employment elsewhere than to confront the co-founder in question. And I think that's what a lot of employees do in that kind of situation. Because what Nathan said before is true. If that co-founder has not demonstrated a track record of receptiveness, people get that's how the system works. Well, you know, it's like when people can't be who they are, where they are, they change where they are, not who they are. And that's an important thing to remember. And it also goes back to why it's so important to make sure you have an inclusive like interview process so that you've already met these people. You didn't meet them as soon as you got there and you asked those explicit questions, especially as you notice. I know I, I make the recommendation if you're looking for a job really quick, like go online, look at LinkedIn, look at the board of directors, look at everything, see if you recognize any patterns that you may want to ask during the interview process to see if these things are going to happen. And the other thing is we never got to the bottom of it. it. I feel like there was probably previous trauma, workplace trauma, to the point where they actually took that feedback, you know, and really kind of, of speaking at, from a place of privilege at this point of saying, you know, why would you even attempt a, that's your first sign of something to go to everybody and actually ask the question, but that sucks. And I'm, I, I am proud of Rachel for finding another opportunity. And I hope that, you know, others who hear this and when you're thinking about joining a new organization, put some things in place to try to look at those, see if you notice anything beforehand, before you find out too late four months into the job. Well, Jackie, are there questions you would recommend that a candidate ask a potential employer to try to understand the feedback culture in the workplace? I mean, you talk about what you can observe from who the team is, who the board of directors are, but you know, if you were giving advice to candidates, what should you ask the team? What would you recommend? Well, I would ask them, how do they, I usually ask, how do you handle conflict in the office? I want to know just straight out, how is that normally handled? If we disagreed on something, what would be the best way for me to come to you with that information? And to hear what he would do. If I have a problem with my peer, how, where, what is the rules for engagement internally? Because as a black woman, especially, like I'm always looking for if I have a problem and I think it's regarding my race or my gender, I want to know what the, what's there for me. In advance, I don't want to find out later when it's too late and, it, and I, I can't do anything about it. So I think those questions are fair to ask in advance. And I know that it might be a little scary. I would also probably have noted, I see that there's only women in these various departments. What's been your experience with women in your sales department? Have you worked with women in sales before? What has been their work trajectory? I, I, I think those are fair questions. Yeah, that's that is great. Yes. And I think I think it is really uh, I was just talking to somebody else about this the other day about like 
once you, especially, you may want to wait to ask that question until after you get the offer because you want to have your choices. But like after you get the offer, definitely there's no reason not to ask that question. Why I'm going to be the only woman here. What's that going to be like for me? Why don't you have any other women? I think that is uh, is is important. And there, there was one moment in my career when a version of this happened. I was interviewing for a job where I was going to be leading uh, a team in in Russia, actually. So this was in 1990, a long time ago. And the the guy who hired me, and I already had the offer, he said to me, well, Russia is a really sexist society. How are you going to deal with that? Which was not I mean, it was a little bit of an off-putting question because I sort of felt like, well, hopefully, are you as my boss going to have my back? I said it before I thought about it, but he was Jewish and actually was a Holocaust survivor. And I fired right back at him. I said, it's also a very anti-Semitic society, but I know a lot of Jewish Americans who are doing very well over there. (laughs) He was like, and then I thought, oh my God, did I say the wrong thing? And I'd love to get your thoughts on whether that was the right or the wrong response because it was certainly a risky response. But he loved it, actually, luckily for me. Uh, And he burst out laughing and he said, touche, that's a really good point. We're going to help each other succeed. But as soon as I said it, I wanted the floor to open up. I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I just say that? But I was like, I had had a lot of bad experiences there and I was a little pissed off and I wanted to make sure that he was going to have my back. How was he as a boss down the line? If you accepted the job, he was a great boss. I mean, I think what I think is really interesting about that story is from day one, actually day zero, he knew who you were. Yes. And I knew who he was. And and I knew that I could, he could say something that would make me a little mad. I could say something back. We could work it out. Yeah. I love that. Well, Rachel, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. And we're sorry you had that experience, but glad I'll tell you the the ending to Rachel's story is that although it did cause some real workplace trauma, Silver Lining is the next role that Rachel took launched her recruiting career. So she moved on to the right work for her. Greater success. Greater success. That's great. Again, share your story. I have a confession. Yeah. I put a lot of smiley faces in my emails. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if that is why. Do you mean them? I do. I do. I mean, I am so aware that I I mean, I tend to write and I tend to say things that sound a little harsh, I guess. Like when I was writing Radical Candor, several times my editor wrote in the margin, care personally, question mark. And so I'm sort of mitigating against that. I mean, I say things very, I'm trying to be clear. And sometimes my clarity comes across as harsh. I think that's why I put them in there. I don't know. Statistically, I'll bring like the linguistic nerdiness for you. Statistically, women use way more emojis in communication than men do. And that is true in casual text, as well as in workplace email and other communication. And that is a really entrenched Western cultural pattern, cross-linguistic, by the way, not just English language, but like Western culture. It's statistically pretty significant. So I'm going to solicit some feedback from you all. Should I try to stop putting all the, and I don't use emojis. I use the colon comma. Right. Well, you know, that's because you learned the internet in 1992. I understand. I did too. 
but so yes, now I'm old. I'm an older woman. I'm showing that I'm an old. I'm a middle aged woman. So what do you think? Should I stop doing the smiley faces? I like that you put them in there. I think it's a part of you now. Like I think at this point, if you didn't put them, people would be very upset and say, "Did I do something wrong?" There were no smiley faces in my email. <laughs> What I think would actually be interesting, Kim, is for you to try to not use them for two or three weeks and see what you notice. Okay. Like you can, you can run the experiment for yourself. First of all, I can tell you already, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. Yeah, it'll be hard. You're going to be like, here's where I want to put it. Yeah. You may try to overcorrect with exclamation marks. I use a lot of them. Yeah, I know. I know the journey here. I know the journey. I'm a linguist and also a woman. But I think if you try the experiment, you're going to notice... You'll notice some patterns. And then what you should do is report back to us on what you notice. Okay. All right. So I'm going to do it. Nathan, do you use smiley faces in your... I don't use very many. I use plenty of emojis in Slack, but almost no emojis in or smiley faces in email. I think what was standing out to me, Kim, as you, as you're talking is if you're trying to like soften the meaning or, or maybe change how a, a message could be interpreted... The thing that I was wondering is, are you using the emojis or the smiley faces because you want to or because you think they're necessary to have your message received the way you want it to be received? I think it's like a way to show care personally. And I think I can use words. I can use my word. It's also I'm like very impatient. And so it's like a shortcut. It's probably actually sloppy. I mean, I, I think if you want to use them, like absolutely use them. It's just if you feel like you have to, to get the message received. I'm going to do the experiment. I'm going to try to show my care personally with words, not... Here's what I found, and then and then we'll wrap up for today. Here's what I found in, in some of the same experiments. When I feel compelled to include a smiley face, it is what Nathan said. It's It's often because I'm worried about how I might be received. And if that's the case, I almost always shouldn't send the message. I should pick up the phone. Okay, that's good. And just actually skip the whole dilemma. Now, Jackie knows because we communicate a lot. I use upside down smiley faces all the time, which is my like, this world is going to hell. <laughs> Here we all are together. It's a little bit different than the like soften the blow. But I, but for me, I find that I do use them to try to be received differently and when I tried to not do them, I'm like, you know, I should actually just talk to this person for four minutes. Always is better. That is really good. Okay. We're going to, I will report back in three weeks. I love it. All right. Well, we are so excited. Thanks again, Rachel. And thank you, Nathan, for being here today. Again, send in your stories at my story at realizefeedback.com. They do not only have to be terrible stories. So Nathan shared a really inspiring story today. We like those too. So if you have a story that really impacted you positively, send that in as well. Uh, the more we talk about this, the better opportunity we will have to do better at work together. Until next time, signing off for Real As Feedback. Thanks all. Bye. Bye.